With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply. Not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Welcome to Astros Baseball, a podcast by a fan for the fans of the Houston Astros. Here's your host, Rob Fontenot. Astros Baseball is brought to you by Ram Shirts. Ram Shirts offers custom printed and embroidered apparel. They offer direct-to-garment printing for small runs and screen printing for larger runs. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Ram Shirts. Go to RamShirts.com for all your custom apparel needs. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. Joining me tonight is the Astros legendary broadcaster, 30 years with our Houston Astros, Mr. Bill Brown. Bill, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Rob. Good to speak with you again. I know last time you told me to call you Brownie, but it's just kind of hard to do. I know, but <laughs> it's, it's easy. It's, <laughs> up. it's easy. All right, so we were talking on Facebook yesterday, and we wanted to – I wanted to bring you on to talk about your new book. You got a new book, Houston Astros Golden Era – the Astros 60-year history, and it came out November 24th is when y'all finished it? Yes. Yeah, we, we were rushing through uh, to get it out for uh, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Rob. Ah. Uh, it's never a good idea to rush through a book because that's when mistakes are prevalent. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how many mistakes are still in there. I haven't read it since it came out, but hopefully it's, it's enjoyable for people. So you're 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 labeled if you if you look up Bill Brown on Wikipedia you're retired, but I, I you know we're friends on Facebook and you're a busy guy. I mean you're traveling, you go see beautiful places, and it seems like you're writing books every year also. So enjoying the retirement, huh? Well, you know I I do believe in an active retirement, and I think a lot of guys do who are recently retired. And uh, I just think that, it, you know, I mean, that all the professional advice you might be given would be against sitting on the couch and watching TV all day or reading novels or things of that nature. So uh, to each his own, everyone is entitled to his own retirement. But, yeah, I think an active retirement works well. Yeah, that's my plans. Be, I'm going to be as active as possible, travel. I won't be writing any books, but I'll be traveling. Uh, so. Fine. So last time you came on, we talked about Sportscasting 101. And I was just curious because I know it was sort of like a learning tool for people that wanted to get into broadcasting. Have you got any feedback from people that read your book? I have a little feedback. And, uh, you know, the problem with feedback is most people are, are very kind and they won't come up to you and say, you know, that book really stinks. Um, but the, the feedback that I have is good, and it's uh, from students, you know, I, I'd say, you know, high school, senior, junior, on through college would, 
be the target audience for this book, but people who are my age have said they've enjoyed reading it. I think it would it would also appeal to just a sports fan who wonders, well, how do you get into the sportscasting business anyway? What's that all about? And, and this will tell you that, and it, it does it by presenting a lot of different stories of people who have been successful at what they've done. Uh, what was their college choice? Why? What did they do after that to get where they got? And so it's a, it's a narrative that I think will help a student who wants to go into this business. And sometimes it's helpful in seeing what mistakes people made so you can avoid those. <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell my kids. Like, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I've made a lot of mistakes and I can try to keep you from making those same mistakes. True. So you have your new book, Houston Astros Golden Era. Where'd you come up with the idea for the book and how did you, you know, get together with Mike and Phil to work on this project? Well, I, I was thinking, you know, I, I kind of wrote some, some during the season, just thinking I probably was finished writing books. Now I know I'm finished writing books, but <laughs> I thought, um, you know, if the Astros were to make the World Series, we'll say this year, maybe, maybe there's one more book here. And it would be about this whole era that began in 2015 with the playoff appearance that year. And then, uh, we, we always wonder when we're following teams like this, when we're a fan of one team primarily, well, how, how long can they keep this going? And, you know, people had written, well, you know, they let Springer get away through free agency. And now if Correa leaves through free agency, that's got to be the end of this era. Well, we don't know that. Uh, we're not sure what else is in store. And so it's interesting to watch it play out. And I thought, well, let's just write about this whole process. And then, you know, so during the season as it evolved, it, it became more interesting to me when it got to the final third of the season, we'll say. And they started, they had a six and a half game lead and it went down to two. And uh, it got kind of interesting that way. They were being tested. So that's when I really picked up the diary part of it, and then it went on through the World Series, but also continued to uh, examine this era, which we'll say started in 2015, but if you want to include the rebuilding, it started before that, so that's in there too. But then, you know, that was about half the book. That's about the first half of the book, and then there was plenty of room to go into other topics, and, and I just chose to... Uh, really go into the whole history of the team because this is the 60th year. And I thought, well, I, I know there aren't a lot of history fans out there, but let's try to do something with maybe more stories and things of that nature than they might have expected. And hopefully this will be a more entertaining look at the club's history. So the format of the book is mostly stories? There are a lot of stories. Uh, there are a lot of facts. There, you know, I know there will be people who will say, well, there are too many stats in there. Well, sure. I, I think that would be a legitimate uh, charge for a lot of books of this nature. But uh, to ask, answer your other questions about uh, Mike and Phil getting involved. So Mike Acosta is the Astros team historian. and uh, He knows more about the team's history than I do by far. And <laughs> Phil uh, works with us in a TV booth doing statistics. And he also knows more about the team than I do by far, because both of those guys grew up here. And uh, so they're excellent historians for the team. 
and they're excellent at remembering certain stories and different angles of different teams, you know, bad trades, good trades. We go into those things. Phil wrote a lot of that stuff. He wrote the historic examination of the good, best and worst trades and uh, things like uh, players who switched positions, as you know, Vigion Bagwell did, but there are many others, and so on down the line. Just, just different angles involving the team's history. That And Mike you know, sent all these photos. And he's just an absolute treasure trove of information. Phil put a lot of statistics, updated statistics through this year. So if you want the uh, all-time batting average leaders, you know, you can find those in there, complete through 2021 and that sort of thing. Yeah, Mike Acosta has been on here a couple of times. And I even, a couple episodes ago, I gave him a couple of trivia questions and he aced it all. Oh, yeah. And the, uh, and Phil, that seems like someone I'd like to get to know and have on here as well. Does, does that guy have Facebook? Yeah, uh, no, he's not on social media. Oh. Uh, but he is about to retire. And uh, I think he'll have a little extra time for you. There soon. you go. All right, so let me go into some of the stories. What what is your personal like favorite Astro story? If you can come up with one. Well, we we went into things like uh, the Tony Eusebio twenty four game hitting streak, which took fifty some odd days. That was a pretty good story. There's a good story about Shane Reynolds when he was in the minor leagues. Uh, working with Brent Strom, who at that time was the Astros' Triple uh, A pitching coach, and Shane was in Venezuela, and uh, he had an interesting conversation with Brent Strom about what he wanted to do. Did he want to be a big leaguer, or did he want to spend his whole life in the minor leagues? And he, of course, wanted to be a big leaguer, so that meant redoing some things with his pitching style, with his delivery, with his pitch selection. And uh, I, I think stories like that give the fans an insight into how a player got to where he was. And then there's the story of Joe Morgan, you know, and why he became such a better player once he left Houston. So I, I think that uh, there's a chance to learn a lot about uh, important players in history who came up through the Houston organization. So... When you're doing your broadcasting, 30 years, if you if you look back, who was your favorite player to watch? Um, I had a lot of players who were probably ranked very high, and it's tough to say my favorite player to watch, but um, I loved somebody like Ken Caminetti because he just he, – he was going to run through any kind of a wall that was in front of him. <laughs> he he one speed and you know his arm was just incredible and I, I think you know we enjoy watching players like Casey Kendall who can play any position on the field you know go out there in the middle of a game and play one position be switched to another or you know a pitcher who is going through a rough season and then finds a way to get it turned around or a guy like Jose Lima Lima was fun because Lima was probably the quintessential Astrodome pitcher. Uh, he wasn't very successful at all when the Astros traded for him. And pitching in the Dome was an absolute haven for him because he didn't have a great fastball, and he would have a tendency to just go ahead and challenge the hitters with his fastball. 
and they'd hit it 385 feet and somebody would catch it on the warning track. And uh, the hitter would just get so mad. He'd just get so frustrated that that ball was not a home run because it was a home run in any other park. And then Lima would next time up, maybe dazzle the guy with a change up and strike him out and do that little dance he did on the mound and uh, spring off the mound. And that would make the guy even madder. And so I, I thought that, um, he was an interesting guy. He had his own salsa band. He entertained. He was a singer. And I, I watched them perform when we were in the Dominican Republic uh, for uh, an exhibition series in spring training. And he was a good entertainer. But one night in the first year of Enron Field in 2000, he was a starting pitcher. And I don't think he made it through the fourth inning. But his band was entertaining out at center field after the game. And I thought that was kind of odd. But, you know, the show went on and he put on a good show. <laughs> An interesting guy. Yeah, I, I, I always have a story about Jose Lima. I took my daughter to a game in the Astrodome. It had to be, I don't know, 97 or 98. And Jose Lima actually, like, called her down, you know, and gave her a ball. He had it behind his back and he gave it to her. So I'll never forget that. He was great with the fans. He was really a fan favorite. And yet, he could not pitch very well outside the Astrodome. He just couldn't do it. First year at Enron Field, he got whacked. He had a terrible ERA. He just couldn't deal with it. I, and I think the reason was, the very first game at Enron Field, the, it was an exhibition game, and the pitchers came out and they took batting practice early, as they always did. And he hit a ball in the Crawford boxes. And I think it shocked him so much because he could not hit. And when he hit a ball for a home run, he just realized how easy it was to hit a home run in that park. And I think it destroyed him mentally. <laughs> yeah, that would probably do it. All right, so let me ask you a hard question. And I don't even have the answer. I'll try to think of it while you try to think of your answer. But let's say every major league baseball team had to build a statue of an Astros player. The one guy that represented the Astros, who do you think the Astros statue should be? Well, if I, if I had to pick just one, it would be Biggio because he was the first Astro hall of famer. And because he is a unique player in baseball history in terms of a guy who was a catcher, and then he was a second baseman, and then he was an outfielder, and then back to second base, and, you know, had over 3,000 hits and set all these other standards uh, for the team that, that probably won't be broken anytime soon. So I, I think it would have to be Biggio, although most people would want Biggio and Bagwell probably to share that on. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with you as well. I mean, you, you think of Astros, you know, you think of Nolan Ryan, you think of everybody says Biggio and Bagwell, you know, the toy cannon and different things. But yeah, you know, Biggio, 3,000 hits, Hall of Famer, spent his entire career with the Astros. That's a very good answer. Well, 20 years, and, you know, we, we look at Correa's situation right now, and we're not sure where he's going to be playing in 2022. Uh, and Biggio could have left. He could he could have left as a free agent. He had a chance to do that. And Bagwell would have had a chance to do that too. And I'm not 
you know, trying to despair anybody who disparage anybody who, who leaves here. Uh, certainly that is their right. But I think fans love the player who chooses to stay and could have made more money elsewhere. Yeah, that's very true. So what do you think about, I was, I was going to ask you about, you know, how the Astros were able to, you kind of foreshadowed one of my questions, how the Astros were able to sustain their success, you know, after Springer left. And I was going to ask you if you thought they could do that as well without Carlos Correa. I personally think they can. I can understand that. And, um, they would be losing the best shortstop in the game if he left. Uh, what would they do at shortstop? I'm not sure. Uh, I don't, you know, recently there have been interviews with Alex Bregman and he said he's getting ready to play shortstop and he can play it on an all-star level. And that could very well be, but I don't think that's the plan the team has. I think the team has plans to leave him at third base where he's very good and get another shortstop. I'm not sure who that would be. Yeah, I don't be an expensive shortstop, and we're assuming that Trevor's story is going to be expensive, so I don't think it would be Trevor, but I'm not sure who it would be. Uh, nonetheless, I, I think it's probably easy to say that if Correa leaves, they're not going to be able to repeat. Uh, with what the Rangers have done so far with their free agent signings and Seattle, I think this is going to be a much more competitive division than it was, but I still wouldn't say necessarily based on what we know right now that the Astros can't compete. They'll do something. They will bring in free agents and they will have a good team. So I wouldn't necessarily say that this is the end of an era. Yeah. Yeah. This year should be fun with the, uh, the teams you mentioned. I mean, I thought the Rangers were just totally giving up on things and they just came out of the blue and started spending all this money. What what about JV signing? That was pretty important. Well, it was. And it's interesting that apparently it hasn't happened yet from what we're reading in the paper because the Astros have never actually announced the signing of Justin Verlander. And so evidently it hasn't happened. It was reported by Verlander's brother but um, until a player takes a physical, passes the physical, and actually signs the contract, the team doesn't announce it. So we're left to wonder, what, what hasn't he done here? Hasn't he taken a physical? Maybe not. Hasn't he signed his contract? Maybe he didn't. But as of right now, I don't think he's officially a Houston Astro. Now, assuming he is, I still think that was the way for them to go because Starting pitchers who do what he's done throughout his career are even more in short order these days than ever before. And we're assuming because he was throwing in his mid-90s at his uh, camp that he had for scouts that he can return to top form next year. If that's the case or if he returns to 85% or 90% of top form, I think that's a very good move for them. And, you know, if they don't have Correa and if they don't have the offense they had last year, I think they can get better with pitching and still be a very fine team. Yeah, an 85% Justin Verlander it would would be on our rotation, no doubt. Yes. So right now, I mean, maybe this lockout has something to do with not announcing. I don't know if teams are still signing people. I know they're not able to. But no. 
But how long do you think this lockout's going to go on? Uh, my guess would be it wouldn't be solved until after the first of the year. I just think of the Christmas holidays and, and you know, both both sides and labor disputes usually kind of dig in after there's a big move made, like Major League Baseball made to lock them out. They usually say they're going to talk again, and they probably will talk again before Christmas. But I don't expect for one team to make uh, one one negotiating team to make a major movement to solve this thing that soon. I think it's going to take a few weeks. How long do you think it? takes till it becomes harmful to the game and to the fans like how long if this drags out how far well if it drags out through january now we're affecting spring training quite a bit so now that's affecting the fans because some of them have tickets to go to spring training and i think every day that there's not a settlement uh, after we'll say some point in january late January, probably fans get perturbed. They get very upset and uh, they start vowing that they're not going to see another game again this year and that sort of thing. And that's happened before. So um, I, I think that becomes harmful when it gets to that point. Okay. So the new book, Houston Astros golden era, you can find it on Amazon. Is that the only place to find it? That's the only place to find it. We're going to have a book signing at the Houston Food Bank on Saturday, December 18th from 11 to 1, and you could buy them there in person from us, and all the money goes to the Houston Food Bank if you do that. But other than that, um, the Amazon is the only place to find it, yes. So I also saw where y'all had posted the book is for sale for $15, but you are giving $5 of that to the Texas Food Bank? Yeah, if it's online, if it's an online purchase um, from Amazon, then that's, you know, that's the author's payment for the book. So we're donating. In other words, nobody's making a dime off this book as far as the three authors go. So uh, we're, we're getting whatever money comes from Amazon and, and donating that to the Houston Food Bank. But if you buy that day of the signing, we've already covered our costs for the printing of the books and the shipping of the books. So we're donating the full $15 of every book on that date, uh, December 18th to the Houston food bank. And, and where is that Houston food bank located? It's uh, off I 10 East of downtown on a street named port wall, P O R T W A L L. Okay, folks, you heard it. Go get your book signed December 18th. Um, I can't go. I have to work, but, uh, <laughs> I actually, because I live in San Antonio, so I can't go, but um, that's all I have. You got any plans for Christmas? We are going to Minnesota December 21st because uh, our family's there, our daughter and son-in-law and three grandchildren are there, so the great white north is beckoning again, Rob. <laughs> Where was it that y'all just went on vacation to? We went to Montana. We went to Glacier National Park in July, and it was fabulous. Yeah, we are thinking about going to Yellowstone. Have you ever been there? Yes, we were there a couple of years ago. Highly recommended. Great, great place. Okay, we'll go there in July. You can see all my pictures on Facebook. And, Bill, that's it. Brownie, that's all I have. Thank you, Rob. Uh, thanks for the time. Good luck with your job. Stay in touch. All right, I appreciate you coming on. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Bill Brown once again. 
We'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Thanks for listening to this episode of Astros Baseball. Be sure to subscribe to be alerted when there's a new episode. Follow Rob on Twitter at Rob Fontenot.